Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Thank you guys for that. That was good stuff. Yeah, you can be seated. How y'all doing tonight? All right, well, praise the Lord. We're going to get settled here. Well, it's been a, it's been a good day. Um, thanks, for, thanks for coming back out tonight. If you, were able to, uh, if you were able to make it out this morning, you, man, you know, what a, you know what a good day it's been so far. So um, those morning sessions were awesome, at least the ones I, w- I was in the general session, and then with Dan and... and um, we learned a lot this morning. I, I told Dan, you know, what I have to give tonight, he basically covered. So, I mean, I think we're pretty good, really. I think, you know, we can go get some sleep. Um, I, I will say, let me just say this. This is not a, it's not a complaint at all, per se. I just was hoping for a little warmer weather than Ohio when I came down. <laughs> I'm not sure what that's about. I, I was promised something different um, but hey, you know, uh, we're, you know, we're here. Yeah, well, yeah, I know. And then uh, it's going to be 80 on Thursday when we're leaving, so I'm real appreciative of that. But, you know, whatever. But hey, if you have your Bibles with you tonight, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me again to Exodus chapter 18. If you were here last night, uh, you know that the theme of this week's conference is the discipler as counselor. So that's what we're looking at, the disciple maker as counselor and having that type of relationship to where biblical counseling is assumed within the context of the discipleship relationship. And we kicked things off last night using Exodus 18 as an example of the wisdom of that plan. I told you last night we were just laying a foundation. And, and we looked at that chapter that, you know, I know is some people have some differing opinions about on Exodus 18, but we studied the very words that were used in that passage and saw that it's been part of God's design since the beginning of man. The first thing that God said that was not good was the fact that Adam was alone, and it was also not good that Moses was alone in the work, and and, and why wasn't it good for either one of them? They're both related to the mission, that God's designed us and God's designed the mission to be a cooperative endeavor. It is a co-mission, and we do it with him. Certainly, first of all, and we do it with others as part of the church, as part of the body. It's not just for a select few. It's not the pastor's job only. It's not the leader's job only. It certainly is their job, but it's all of our jobs. And we trace some of that for you. It's always been a part of God's plan. It remains so today. And then we looked at, at some of the reasons why, starting with just the difficulty of the load and how God knows the heaviness that comes, that, that, that comes with just giving your life and investing your life in others. And of course, today we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to help us and to strengthen us. And, and, and you know, there are times, maybe, that you find yourself alone, like Paul did in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And, and you've got to go about it alone. And in that case, of course, God is there. And, you know, as Paul said, you know, the Lord stood with me and the Lord strengthened me. And, and, and he'll always do that, you know, praise the Lord for that. But that's certainly not God's design for us to go about it alone. And God uses a triune of factors in his mission. He, of course, uses the Spirit of God. He uses the Word of God. And he uses the people of God. And there's plenty of work to go around. There are plenty of disciples to make. And that's the mission. And, it's, and it can be hard, and it's not that we're complaining about it. And, and we certainly shouldn't complain about it, because... Jesus did the hard work that, that he's asking us to do first. He's not asking us to do anything that he didn't do. But sometimes it's a heavy work, and that's true for all of us. And, and we saw that there's a particular burden for the leader, for the pastor, and so your pastor needs you to be equipped to, to endeavor in this, min, this ministry with him, in this aspect of discipleship. And he needs some people to hold up his hands when the work is heavy. And then we also looked at the duty of the leader last night because according to God's word the leader the pastor is to give himself 
to the word and prayer. That was what Jethro counseled Moses to do. That's what we see in Acts chapter 6 with the deacons. And since that leader is to spend much time with the Lord, um, well, he needs much time to spend. He needs to be available to spend time in God's word and in prayer. And so because of that, man, God set this whole thing up for discipleship to be a team effort. And I, and I think, you know, obviously we, we know that, most of us in here, we know that we're all to be involved in this mission of making disciples. But, but the truth is, it entails a lot. When we talk about discipleship, in, in the way that the Bible outlines it, it entails a lot more than just going through a set of lessons, right? We talk about that all the time. For those of us that have been around this and involved in this a while, we talk about it's not just a set of lessons. That is not the totality of discipleship. And I know that it says biblical discipleship on the cover of your set of lessons. But going through those lessons is not how the Bible defines making a disciple. Those lessons are just a tool. And I, and I think I put this on your outline sheet. You know this. A biblical discipleship is a sharing of life. And, and when you share life, you share all of it. And you share the ups and the downs. And you share the good and the bad. And, and, and in, in the context of our theme, with the disciple maker as counselor, when you share that type of relationship and you share your life at that level, counseling just becomes a natural part. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So like I said, last night we looked at the wisdom of this, how God set this all up, and this is the foundation. But tonight we're going to talk about the way. And tonight is super simple. Like if you've been around discipleship at all very long, you've heard everything I'm going to say tonight. If you were here this morning with Dan, you heard everything I'm going to say tonight. And at the same time, it needs to be said over and over and over again. What I'm going to talk about tonight is the part we can't miss. This is the part we can't miss. This is the part we can't get wrong. How do you build into a disciple's life in such a way that you become their friend, their mentor, their coach, their discipler, and their counselor? What's the way to do that? And, and to set the table, so to speak, I want you to think of this relationship like a garden. Right? You're sowing into that disciple's life like you would sow a garden. And if you have any experience gardening at all, I don't have a ton, but I do have some, you know that you don't just go from planting to reaping the harvest. You can't just put some seeds in the ground and check back four months later and think everything's going to be great. You're going to reap this big harvest. Well, listen, that, that's the same in discipleship. You can't just plant a few seeds of God's word into someone and assume that that's all they need. And that they're going to be just fine. And that their walk with the Lord is going to be great. No, this is like gardening. With gardening, you've got to stay on top of, it, top of things. So you do need to plant. But in order to plant properly, you need the right tool. I mean, if you try to take a fork out to the garden, that's going to be some tough sledding. And then after you plant the correct tool, you, you need to water. And you need to keep the weeds out. Because somehow, even though you planted the good stuff, there's some crazy other seeds that get, gets mixed in sometimes. And they go talk to their friends, and they le learn some worldly philosophy. And you got to pull those weeds. And you got to stay on top of things. And then above all, you have to trust the Lord to work. Because ultimately, it's up to him and your disciple. So what that means is you have to pray. Listen, if God doesn't bring rain, the farmer's in trouble. And there's trust involved in gardening plants and people. And Paul used this same type of example of these different roles in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, dealing with those carnal Corinthians. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. You see, Paul said, listen, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just Apollos. This is a team effort. We were in this together. And above all, God's the one that does the work, ultimately. We're just going to be faithful to what God's word said, and then we're going to trust the Lord, and we're going to pray about this. And we're going to pray about what God's going to do in that individual's life. And, and, and that's what we need to talk about tonight. 
the way we're going to go about that. And that's what we're going to see with Jethro's continued advice to Moses. And we're going to pick up the story in Exodus 18 where we left off. And we're only going to get through one verse tonight. We're going to get through verse 20. And it's a great verse that shows us the way of discipleship and, and the way of being able to build a relationship in such a way that the, the disciple maker is the counselor by just by na nature of that relationship. And, and so let's pick it up. Um, this, what we're going to talk about tonight, um, it, of, it of course, apply, it applies to everyone, right? It, this is the, what we're going to see. The way is very foundational to what we're going to look at. But, but I don't want you to miss the immediate context. And the immediate context is what Moses is to do. And what Moses is to reproduce from the top. So, you know, for all the pastors in here tonight, I want you to pay particular attention to what God's called us to do. And then we're to invest in those other leaders underneath us so they can take it and run with it throughout the rest of the, rest of the body. But it is a foundational way to go about ministry and to go about uh, discipleship. So let's look at this advice from Jethro to Moses, we'll, we're, we're going we're gonna to just land in verse 20, but we'll just pick it up in verse 19, and you know, I'm not going to take the time, we don't have the time to kind of run through everything we talked about last night, but that story starts at verse 13, if you want to read it for your own, on your own time. But starting in verse 19, Jethro says, hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, God shall be with thee, be thou for the people to God word, that thou mayest bring the causes to God. And verse 20 says, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, shall show them the way wherein they must walk. And the work that they must do. Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us tonight. Dear Lord, we love you so much. We're so thankful for the time we have just to spend uh, at your feet, Lord, as we open up your word tonight. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit does a supernatural work that only he can do, that only you can do, that your word is exalted and glorified. And Lord, that you move me completely out of the way and that you you speak to each and every heart here. And Lord, I, I know as 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 basic as this message is, you have, a, you have a word for all of us. And so, Lord, I pray that you deliver it authoritatively, and I pray that you deliver it um, just in, in only the way that you can. I pray that everything that is said is true to your word, and I pray that you're honored and glorified with all we do tonight. And we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, again, what we just read in verse 20, it's a great verse describing what this nature, this real this discipleship relationship should look like. And Jethro had just encouraged Moses to spend time with the Lord, and we obviously can't miss that. We, we talked about that last night. And then he tells him to spend time and invest in his leaders. And what Jethro specifically encourages to invest in those leaders, I think, spells out for us the way. And again, this is very basic, but we have to get this. And it starts by being willing and able, and we'll get to that tomorrow night, but being willing and able to, to first of all, share the solution. To share the solution, there's only one, when it comes to the issues of life, when it comes to growth in the Lord, there's only one solution. When it comes to the problems that we face and the problems that our disciples face, there's only one answer. That's, of course, God's word. Jethro begins in verse 20 by telling Moses, teach them ordinances and laws. And this is a little bit interesting to me because this instruction came at a time before the law was given. That process didn't start till chapter 20, right, when God gave Moses the law. But Moses was both a prophet and a lawgiver, and God spoke directly to Moses before the, the official law was written down. And God obviously told Moses exactly what to say with Pharaoh, for example, and he continued to do that with Moses throughout the wilderness wanderings, over and over we read, and the Lord said unto Moses, or something along those lines. And God continued to give Moses very specific instructions for the people of Israel, specific enough that they're called ordinance and laws and commandments. We saw that in, even in verse 16. Uh, Moses himself, that he made the people know the statutes of God and the laws. Look at Exodus chapter 15, verses 24 through 26. It says, And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast in the waters, and the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. So if thou wilt 
diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have put upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. You see, even in Moses' day, before the law as we know it, as it was given in, in starting in verse 20, there were specific instructions from God in order to live a life that was glorifying to God. And listen, from what we just read, specific, those specific instructions included how to navigate the difficulties of life. And he's like, if you do this, man, I'll, I'll keep this from you. And I'm sure it even involved things like relationship issues and things for which people needed counsel. Because why were the people coming to Moses? Because of all the relationship issues that they were dealing with. And can I tell you, if that was true, in a time even before the law was given, then it is absolutely true now. In a time where we have a completed perfect and preserved written word something that we hold in our hands tonight and this book right here is the absolute and only solution now it certainly provides the solution to our biggest problem which is salvation but that's not all it provides a solution to everything else. Now, it starts there. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, tells us the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection is according to what? The scriptures. 1 Peter 1, 23 says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So it's the solution for salvation, but that's not all. It's the solution for everything. And so what I'm saying, what I'm telling you tonight, is that this book right here that we hold in our hands in its preserved form is not only fully authoritative, but also fully sufficient for every issue in life. So when it comes to discipleship and it comes to helping them, your, your disciple, work through the issues of life and counseling them through whatever it is they or you are going through, you don't need anything else. You have the right tool. 2 Peter 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You see, it is, God, it is God's divine power that has given us this book. And it pertains to everything both secular and sacred, life and godliness, through the knowledge of him. So let me ask you, is the Bible your authority in all things that pertain to life and godliness? Or are you the authority? And as part of that question, as I, uh, as I mentioned a minute ago, I'm, I'm, here's what I'm really asking you. Do you view the word of God as sufficient in all areas of your life? And the life of those that you disciple. Because dealing with authority and sufficiency are two different issues. Because you can believe in the authority of Scripture and still not believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. See, maybe you think it's authoritative in what it talks about. It just doesn't cover everything. I mean, certainly not the stuff we're dealing with now in the 21st century. It didn't deal with all of that. So, you know, the stuff it covers, sure, it's authoritative in that. But it doesn't cover enough. But if you think that, you have a short-sighted and an inaccurate view of the Bible. Because the Bible is completely sufficient in all things. And, and listen, it claims to be. Psalm chapter 19, listen to what verses 7 through 11 says. says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the Lord, the rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them as thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there's great reward. In Psalm 119, we get to see how David viewed God's word all throughout that chapter, but in verses 102 and 103, he says, I've not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. Why didn't he depart from them? 
because they were his authority. And then in verse 103, he says, How sweet are thy words unto my taste. Be sweeter than honey to my mouth, because they were fully satisfying and fully sufficient for him. But there are too many people, there are too many Christians that don't believe that. And so, so we'll, we'll take people, and, and they'll come, and they'll be excited about what God's doing. They'll sign up for discipleship, and we'll start walking them through life and walking them through the lessons, and they'll come to an issue. And we don't exactly know how to handle it. And so we, we without even thinking about it sometimes, we, we run back to the world for help on this issue. But listen, the world's idea is to solve people's problems and repair their life and their home. And don't hold a candle to what you'll find in this book. And with Egypt being a picture of this world in the Bible, listen to what Isaiah 31.1 says. It says, woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Let's not run back to Egypt. And if, and if you don't know how to take this book and help someone with their issues, like, you know, it, it's, it's not covered in, in one of the lessons. Okay, well, well that's, that's something that you need to work on. And so you need to come back tomorrow night, because that's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow night but what we can't do is we can't run back to the world because the world is not smarter and this book is not outdated you don't need something else you need to know how to use what you have because it's completely authoritative and completely sufficient I'm not sure if I've said that yet but that's true even in this day and age. And, and, I'm, and I'm sorry to say that there are a few people that actually believe that, even in quote-unquote good churches. And in today's world, it just seems like and it feels like that the Word of God isn't enough. And this is for a few different reasons, but it's partly because everything in our culture moves us to expect things to happen quickly. All right, I put this on your outline sheet. We expect things to happen quickly. So we're the victim of the 22-minute sitcom. We can't even sit through commercials anymore. I mean, that is just ridiculous. And we're a microwave popcorn society, and we believe things ought to happen in a moment. And when they don't happen quickly, we don't know how to endure. We don't read big books anymore. We only have time for blog posts and articles. And even better, just give me a podcast, because I can listen to that and I can do something else at the same time. And when we're working with a disciple through the issues of life, or we even have an issue that we deal with ourselves, and when the Word of God doesn't work overnight, we think it doesn't work at all. That's not true. It absolutely will work. But there's a process. First of all, you have to believe that. You have to believe that it is what it says it is. First Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God which you heard of us, you receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God which effectually worketh also in you that what? Believe. believe. And that's not a name it and claim it philosophy. But do you have faith in what you hold in your hand, or do you not? Do you believe God is true and every man's a liar, or do you not? You have to decide. And that's where you have to start. And then sometimes it takes time. Listen, if you're trying to knock down a wall with a hammer, sometimes you hit it and nothing visibly happens. And you may hit it several times and not see a result, but listen, with each hit, that wall is weakening. You may not see it, but it's working. And if you keep hitting the wall, all of a sudden a crack appears. And the crack tells you you're having an impact. Well, Jeremiah 23, 29 says the Word of God works that same way. 
says, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Listen, some rocks break with one hit, but some, some take more. There are some issues that people deal with that our disciples, that, that, that we need to help them work through. And so you just keep hitting, and you keep taking God's word, and you keep hitting it, and you keep working it, and you don't give up. And when it seems like it's not working, you trust it, and you keep hitting, and you see the crack. And all of a sudden it breaks, and when it breaks, they break, and God is glorified, and lives are changed. It absolutely works that way. And this entire process of using the word of God in someone's life, it is just has to become part of, of the way we interact in these relationships. Counseling has to become a part of discipleship. Investing the word of God in someone else's life is the very essence of what we know as discipleship, right? That's, that's 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And the things which thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. I mean, I mean it's not a discipleship conference if we don't read 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. <laughs> and listen, Timothy heard a lot from Paul. Not just the theological details of doctrine, but also the practical advice on how to use those doctrines to navigate life and the issues of life. These all go hand in hand. But listen, it, it, it even goes deeper than this. Because discipleship and counseling aren't only teaching. You don't only get to share the solution. Because second, you also need to share yourself. And I know yourself is one word, but that didn't fit my outline, so I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> you need to share yourself. You need to share your life with your disciple. The life that you have in Christ. So that means they need to see your walk so they know how to walk. That's the second piece of advice that Jethro gave to Moses. Now shalt teach them ordinances and laws and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk. So that means they need you to walk in the way. And you need to show them how. And in the way of God, in the way of God's word. You need to be walking in the way, and we're going we're gonna to save the details of, of the specifics of what that looks like tomorrow night. But the truth is, in a true discipleship relationship or, or discipleship done in this holistic way that just naturally includes counseling, that means you're going to have to walk with them, share life with them so they see how to navigate it. You see, this discipleship isn't just tell it's show and tell and you don't only get to talk about it you don't only get to teach about it and and remember this was Jethro's advice to Moses pastor we don't only get to teach about it from the pulpit if we're not living it they're not gonna it starts with us and this is the model we see from Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus had both to do and teach till the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given the commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, you might know that the former treatise discussed there is Luke's gospel, because Luke wrote his gospel and he wrote the book of Acts also. So that means the gospel of Luke tells us what Jesus began both to do and teach. See, Jesus started something. Right? He started something. It says he began to do something, and he began to teach some things. And he did that all the way up into his ascension, or as verse 2 says, until the day in which he was taken up. And after that, the Holy Ghost became the teacher, and the apostles became the doer. That's the book of Acts. So he began in the Gospel of Luke. And we see it continue, we see what he began work out in the book of Acts. And, and that's what verse 2 is telling us, that then the apostles take it. So Jesus had taught them how to be followers of him, teaching them about himself and what they were to do and believe after he was gone. 
He even did that after his death and resurrection in Luke 24, verses 44 and 45. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. But as Acts 1-1 tells us, he, he didn't just teach them scripture. He also showed them how to live it. You see, he was the perfect example. John 13, 15 says, For I have given you an example. This is Jesus speaking. He said, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. But listen, we are that example for our disciples. So is, is what you're living the way you want them living? Peter remembered that example because in his first epistle, in chapter 2, verse 21, he wrote, For even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. You see, that example even includes things like suffering because there's things that we have to deal with in this life. And there's things that our disciples have to deal with in this life. And, and listen, do, when we have to deal with suffering, does that leave a good example for them when they have to deal with suffering? See, Jesus showed us how to walk, and we need to be able to do the same with those we disciple. So while 2 Timothy 2.2 2 is obviously, it's our theme discipleship verse, it's, it's, just, it's just somewhat incomplete because it covers the teaching. You just can't leave out the doing. And the showing how to walk. And by the way, Paul didn't leave it out. You just have to keep reading in 2 Timothy. Because in 2 Timothy 3.10, Paul tells Timothy, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. He goes on in verse 11 to talk about his afflictions, the persecutions he faced and how he handled them. So it wasn't that Paul only taught Timothy. He certainly did that. He made sure Timothy fully knew his doctrine. He taught him that. But he also shared with Timothy his manner of life and his purpose, how he lived out his faith, how to be long-suffering, how to show charity and patience toward others. And please listen to me. That is a necessary and biblical component to discipleship. So if all you're doing is teaching another person a set of lessons, then you're doing it wrong. You're not discipling. You may be teaching, but you're not discipling. You see, a disciple is a learner and a follower. And we learned that this morning, too. So are you showing them where to go, or are you just telling them? Are you showing them how to evangelize? Or are you just telling them that they need to do something that maybe you don't even do? Oh, that's not, well, that's not the way to do it. We should follow Jesus' model for his apostles and Paul's model for us to do and teach, to teach and show. And listen, we see this model with Paul all throughout his ministry. Paul was always looking for people to share his life with, not just teach. And, and, and that's, you know, that's the thing with, for us as pastors, is the thing that, that, that I'm challenged with. That I, I love to take God's word, and I love to study it, and I love to be able to share what God is showing me. And that's a big part of my job. But if I'm not investing in those other leaders around me, then I'm failing. It's not just teaching. And Paul always sought this opportunity. One example is a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 1, it says, And after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came unto Corinth, and look at this, and found a certain Jew named Aquila. If he found something, that means he was looking for something. He didn't say he ran into them or just you know, happened to meet him. No, he was on a mission, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because of Claudius, commanded all Jews apart from Rome, 
and came unto them because he was of the same craft. He abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. You see, he found it. He, he was actively seeking someone, and he found a connection with them. They were all tent makers. And so what's he do? He moves in with them. He shares his life with them. And he disciples them, and we know that he disciples them because later in Acts chapter 18, they go with him to minister in Syria. And then he leaves them in Ephesus. And we find them again in Romans 16 where Paul calls them his helpers in Christ Jesus. And that came about because Paul was willing to not only teach them, but to show them and to walk with them and to take them with them, with him as he ministered. You see, you can never truly impact anyone you only allow your life to be viewed from a distance. And that's because discipleship is helping another person carry out the Christian life in the context of the Word of God, but not just teaching them the Bible. It needs to become an informal, behind-the-scenes investment of the Word of God and your life into another person. That just means your life has to, has to be something. And this type of relationship results in your walk with Christ being duplicated in your disciples' experience. And when it comes to New Testament Christianity, that's our responsibility. We're to make disciples by being authentic disciple-makers. And like we heard this morning, that means discipleship isn't a program. And it's a, it's a process that involves all of our life and sharing of our life. Now, I do want to say it is a process that can be completed. I mean, don't confuse that. We know that from Jesus, John 17, 4. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And we've talked about this. That's obviously not the work of the cross. That didn't come until John 19. He's talking about the work of, of building into his disciples. And he finished that work. And, and, and listen, so we can finish the work. doesn't mean that we ever stop growing. That's not what it means. But, but we can get someone prepared to the point that now they can make disciples. We can finish that work. And so I don't know how long that should take. I mean, each person is different. But listen, if, if you're still discipling, you know, someone, you know, and in, in well into the future, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know that, I think you need to look at that, but. That's not why we're here to talk about. Your goal is to get them to a place where they can go complete the mission with others as well. And it's so sweet when you see that and you see that process replicated in someone else and they take it and they run with it. And that's what we see with Aquila and Priscilla. Like if you go down later in Acts chapter 18, look at verses 24 through 26. This is when they were in Ephesus. Paul had left them in Ephesus and they're ministering there. And it says, a certain Jew named Apollos, born of Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. The man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. You see, Apollos didn't understand the, the, the change that was happening at this time the transition that was going on in, in history and the dispensational shift that was occurring. And, and Aquila and Priscilla set him down. They only knew the baptism of John. That's all he knew. But he was fervent. He loved the Lord. He just didn't know what he didn't know. But they knew. And they sat down and they taught him. And this is where true biblical discipleship comes full circle. That's so beautiful to see. And it goes from there, because then you, we already read about Apollos in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He's helping Paul. And that's just how this thing is supposed to work. God's love, God's word, God's way being communicated to people who need it. And then just going from person to person to person. It's an amazing and it's a beautiful process. That's God's way in action. So let me give you an, an Alan Shelby quote. And the truth is, I've probably been giving you Alan Shelby quotes for like every, you know, every 10 minutes I've been up here, I've given you like four Alan Shelby quotes, probably. I just don't even know. I've just claimed them for my own over the time. This one I can't claim. I know it's his. And I'd like to claim it because it's wonderful. But here's this quote. The greatest relay of God's word is preaching, but the greatest relay of God's way is discipleship. 
The greatest impact on another life doesn't only occur from the pulpit, but also from the pew. And the people like you who fill the pews, you can have an impact on eternity. When we look at our lives and we boil everything down, we really have done nothing worth remembering until we have been a part of God changing someone's life. Through helping them walk the right way. Counseling them through the difficulties of life. But you can't do that if you're not willing to share yourself with them. I mean, like, just think back to Paul, Acts chapter 18. He moved in with Aquila and Priscilla. And listen, I'm not suggesting that you do that with your disciple. I'm not going to do that. You know, Paul was traveling. He needed a place to stay. But just think about what that means. What it means is they got to see Paul in all lights. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and I'm sure to them, they just saw Paul's walk as authentic. And not perfect, but real and honest. And he couldn't fake them out being that close to them. Listen, the people that live in your house, they know you. You may think you're hiding. They know you. So if you're discipling holistically according to how the Bible lays it out, then you can't be fake. Your disciple will catch on to that. And listen, that right there, that's why some people don't want to go this deep. Because they're afraid for their disciple to see them for who they really are. And they don't want to be exposed. So listen, what we're talking about here is the model. And it takes this relationship that you have with another believer in Christ to another level. And that's, what, that's the type of relationship you have to have when you're working through and counseling with things. And, and we'll see tomorrow night of Ecclesiastes 8.5 and you know, one of the, the, the verses we're going to be looking at in some detail tomorrow night. But, um, but you're able, once you have this type of relationship, then you're able to know what to say and, and when to say it. And, and we'll, we'll be looking at that. Um, actually, not tomorrow night. We'll be looking at that Wednesday night. But this type of relationship, it gives you the right. It allows you to discern when to say something, when to speak truth and love, even if it's hard words. And listen, the more they'll be apt to hear it because you're walking with them. This is a game changer in your relationship, your ability to be a counselor, not just a, a teacher. So the way of the discipler, or disciple maker as counselor, you, you share the solution. You obviously got to believe God's word, trust God's word. You got to know God's word. You got to share it, apply it to their, their life. And you got to walk with them, share yourself. And then third, you also need to share your service. See, the showing isn't limited only to how they should walk and how they should navigate life. It extends out to how they should work. So look at 18, Exodus 18.20 one more time. See Jethro's final bit of counsel in the verse. Now shall teach them ordinances and laws, shall show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. So that means you bring them along with you as you minister for the Lord, right? This is, this is all the same stuff. I told you, this is, this is discipleship 101. This is the most basic stuff, but this is what we have to understand. So you get to disciple and counsel and minister and serve all at the same time. Isn't that cool? And this work is necessary because the truth is we were made to work on behalf of the Lord. So it goes back to creation. Last night we were talking about God's design and the mission going back to creation. Well, working and serving was a part of it because, listen, before Eve and before sin, God gave Adam a job. Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And we're not going to talk about what all that means. I just want you to see that even in a perfect environment before sin, man was given a job by God. But listen, so that the first man, but it, it even starts before Adam. And I say that because in the opening passages of the Bible, God is a primary worker, busy with the creation of the world. And so God worked for six days and rested on the seventh. So this reveals that God was the first to do work on earth therefore legitimate work reflects the activity of God so it's a part of being godly and we're to work for him God created us to serve him 
It's our spiritual mission today. It involves work and service. The Great Commission isn't about sitting on our hands and waiting for people to come to us. You know the words, right? Go, teach, baptize, make disciples. It's like Paul found them. It's all action words. But I'm, and I'm sorry, but nowhere in the Bible do you see a true servant of the Lord being passive in the work of the Lord. There's a story in Genesis 47. It's a time when, when Joseph was Pharaoh's right-hand man, and, and Joseph's brothers had unknowingly come to him for help. They didn't even know it was him. And so Joseph goes to Pharaoh, and he's trying to hook his, hook his family up, trying to hook his brothers up with, with some work. And, and he goes to Pharaoh, and, 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 and Pharaoh's willing to help. But, but look at what he says in Genesis 47, 6. Pharaoh says, the land of Egypt is before thee, and the best of the land, make thy father and thy brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen, let them dwell, and if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. And I love the phrasing in that verse, because it tells us how to be in the work of the Lord as we live out the Great Commission. Pharaoh was looking for men of activity to lead. You notice he, di he didn't ask for the, those that were the smartest or the most knowledgeable about cattle. He wanted someone that was active. He wanted someone that was willing to go and be active when that is what was necessary. We need somebody that's willing to go and teach, which means being prepared to teach, and someone who's willing to get to work. Does that phrase describe you? When it comes to the God-given mission we have, would you consider yourself a man or woman of activity? Are you actively trying to live out the great commission and the power of the Lord by walking in the Spirit? Because that's the, how the Bible prescribes. It's not only in the creation account, it's not only in the great commission. You see this throughout the Pauline epistles. Paul talked about that when he talked about himself. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You obviously have to do it through the power of Christ by walking in the Spirit, so God is working through you. But he said, I labored more abundantly than they all. And we talked about this last night, but, but repetition is the price of learning. Christianity isn't a spectator sport. We're all to be involved to be involved together in the mission. There is work to do. There's plenty to go around. And you get to model that for your disciple. You get to help your disciple walk that path. They need to see you doing it. So you show them how to serve. And this point is, is as important as the first two because listen, ultimately this is what we're going to be judged for. This is what your disciples are going to be judged for. We're going to be judged for our works at the judgment seat of Christ. So listen, when you show your disciple the importance of a life in service to Christ, you sort of become their spiritual financial counselor. And we need to counsel them in this. And I say that, and I mean that, because they need to know what this life is about. You need to know what this life is about. This life that we have on this earth is about investing wisely. Where are you putting your time, your talents, and your treasure? How are you investing? And in case you don't know, the great thing is Jesus told us exactly how to do it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. For moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. You see, we're to lay up treasures in heaven, not on this earth. The things of this earth aren't going to last. You need to know that. Your disciple needs to know that. And they need to see that in you, that you understand that and you believe that. Because the only thing that will last is living for the Lord, doing his work, fulfilling his mission. Gold, silver, and precious stones. That's what's going to last. Or worship of God. As we bring others into the family of 
God and we train them to go. That's what's going to last. There's nothing else worth doing. You're wasting your life if you're not doing that. Why do you want to spend your life investing everything you have in 40 or 60 or say it's even 100 years when there is an eternity after that? And when we do invest in the right things and eternal things, listen, God's even good enough to reward us. Now, we'll suffer loss if we don't serve him, but when we do, we get rewards. How good of a, a God do we serve? So bring your disciple along with you, with you. Where do you serve with this body, with your church? And if the answer is nowhere, then that's a problem. But wherever you serve, that's probably a pretty good place for your disciple to serve. And they can see you and they can interact with you on a different level than when you're just going through the lessons. They can ask questions. It's the best way to help them with the application of what you've been teaching. God works it all together. We talked about this this morning. It's part of the goals of discipleship. In that, establish them in the work. And what better way to know than they're being established in the ministry, in the work, than ministering alongside them. There isn't a better way. So get to work. And get to work with your disciple. And this is the way. This is the way God designed the discipleship relationship to work. It's all about sharing. Sharing the solution. Sharing your life. uh, Giving them God's word. Giving them what God has given you. And then giving it to them as you live it out. And help them deal with things of this life. Don't ever lose sight of of what God's word is for you and what it, it needs to be for them. And so share yourself, walk with them, and you earn the right to have the opportunity to help them navigate this life in a counseling scenario, and then, and then share your service. Bring them along in ministry with them. Show them how to truly serve the Lord from the heart. Don't just tell them to do it. Show them how. And this type of relationship is a game changer. And it's a lot of work. And it's hard. And it's not for the faint of heart. But it's worth every second. The Lord is worth it, and so are you. And so are they. And this is it. This is the way. It's the same thing. There's no way of getting around it. Wherever you look in the Bible, this is it. So if you want to be involved, you should be. But you've got to be willing to be involved at this level. But what else? What else do you want to do with your life? Man, let's serve him and let's give our lives to the mission of making disciples. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And and again, we're so thankful for who you are and and for what you've done in our life. And and Lord, you're so worthy of, of giving our life to something that's so much bigger than us. And, and Lord, thank you for allowing us to be involved. And, and um, Lord, thank you for giving us your word. We are, we're so privileged. We're such a privileged generation of Christians to be able to have a perfect, completed word of your words that we hold in our hands that, that have the solution to everything. And, Lord, just help us to believe it. Help us to use it in the lives of those that, that we love and that those that we disciple. Lord, we love you. Thank you again for who you are and all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.